So how y'all doing this morning? If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 23 is where we're going to start. And uh, I just want to take a second and just tell y'all how much I appreciate y'all letting me and Brother Frank be out last week. The, the church we went to, First Baptist Church, Bruton, Alabama, literally booked me two years ago. And whenever they called me and said, hey, can you come this weekend in 2020, I'm thinking, you mean 2019? They said, no, 2020. I said, you got any date you want. That's wide open. I said, I don't even plan that far out, and I'm an advanced planner. But anyway, we went to Bruton, Alabama, and it was an incredible event. That Saturday night, they'd been doing this event for 29 years, and um, they had 270 to 300 people show up, and only probably um, 20% of them was from their church. The rest was from the community. So we presented the gospel, and that night we, they had cards, and Sunday morning they said, well, there's been at least six that we know that accepted Christ. Well, yesterday I talked to the man that had planned the event, and it's up to like 13 that has accepted Christ. And so, you know, so it, it was really good. And that Sunday, morning, that Sunday morning I was able to stay over and do their church service. And so, um, so that, that was a lot of fun also, just being able to present the gospel, because that, that's my heart, and that's where I want to be, is wherever God wants me to be. And so... But, um, but it's always, um, it's easier for me to leave whenever I know that I have capable people here that can stand up here. And it's not about Johnny Morgan and his platform. It's about God's word. And we have people that can stand up here and do it. And so, so Mike did a good job. Me and Frank listened to it on the way back. We only gave him a couple of red marks. And so he, he got a good solid A minus. And, um, but no, it, it was an amazing service. And he, they all, it was, it was good. That's why I say it, it's a blessing that I don't have to go outside, that I can go right here within the walls of the church and say, hey, you're up because we're out. And so, um, so anyway, this morning I'm going to be talking about, it's a book that I read a couple of years ago called Chase the Line. And I'm just warning you right now, if you want to read a book that's going to change you, if you want to read a book that's going to punch you in the throat constantly, that's the book to read. If you want to feel good about life and where you're at, don't read this book. You know, me and Donnie was talking this week, and in that book, you know, a lot of times you read a book, and it has a couple of one-liners in the whole book that you say, highlight and say, oh, that was great. Well, this one's like every paragraph, and you're constantly getting jabbed in the throat. And so, you know, I think this fits exactly where we're at as a church. And so um, about Chase the Line and where we're going to be reading this morning. But I'm going to use a couple of words, and I want to give you definitions of them. One of them is um, a Genesis moment. And so the definition of Genesis is the origin or coming into being of something. Moment means a point of time, and I'm going to be talking about dreams, and that's a strongly desired goal or purpose. And so we're going to be talking about those all throughout the morning. And I want to go back to the beginning. And so whenever you look at Live Oak Baptist Church, and about the year 1984, 1985, a pastor by the name of Brother Merlin McCon, some of y'all might know him, he pastored at Judson for years and years and years, and then a couple of more years and years and years and still. And um, he's had a lot of influence on a lot of people in this room's life through the years in one way or another. Well, Brother Merlin walked on this property and he said, this is where we need to start a church. And so he didn't stand just on top. He dove in and he killed the lion that we're going to read about in a minute. And he went back and Judson bought this property. So Live Oak Baptist Mission started because of a man being obedient. And then you, you go on a few more years and there's another man that come into the picture that's had a big influence on my life, a guy named Howard Turner. Y'all ever met him? He's in the house today. Um, 
And so Brother Howard came here and brought his family in um, 1994. And whenever they come in, they, they doubled the attendance of the church. But you know, you had one pastor, Brother Merlin, that had a dream. And a dream to start a mission here because there was a need in this area. And then he brought Brother Howard back on this property in 1994 and says, you need to pastor this. And so then another dream started from within that dream. And the dream for Brother Howard was to move this from a mission church to an actual church and to build a strong, vibrant Sunday school and a strong, vibrant church. And God used him to do just that. 1997, Live Oak Baptist become Live Oak Baptist and not Live Oak Baptist Mission because God was honoring and God was using the dreams that he had put in these two men that was obedient to follow through. And then in the year named 2018 in April, on April Fool's Day, y'all think that's comical, <laughs> then God called me to become pastor here. And the dream hadn't died to still build a vibrant church in Watson, Louisiana, to build a Sunday school ministry that's constantly discipling and growing and teaching people and to reach our community. And so whenever God calls us, we have to be obedient. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Samuel 23. 2 Samuel 23, verse 20. And we're going to read about a guy that's only mentioned about twice in Scripture, but he had a huge impact. 2 Samuel 23, verse 20. It said, Benani, the son of Jehada, a valiant fighter from Kabzal, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors, and he went down into a pit on a snowy day, and he killed a lion. And he struck down a huge Egyptian, and although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benani went against him with a club, and he snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such was the exploits of Benani, that he too was as famous as the three mighty warriors. He was also held in greater honor than any of the thirty, but he was not included among the three, and David put him in charge of his bodyguard. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. Father, just say that we love you. Father, and I thank you for these words. And Father, today I ask, Father, I beg that us as a church can have the heart that Ben and I had for you. Father, have the obedience that Ben and I had for you. Father, that, Father, he didn't stand on the top and look down. Father, he charged down into the unknown against something that shouldn't have happened. Father, and come out victor because you was there and that's what you wanted. Father, open our hearts. Father, open our minds. Father, give us the hearts to see the way you want us to see. Father, and to keep moving forward. Father, we love you. In son's name I pray. Amen. You know, when you read that scripture, you know, when you start looking at Ben and I, you know, when you look, you know, he's standing on top of this pit. And it said he didn't just stand there and wait. It says he run down in the pit and he killed this lion. I don't know why he killed the lion. It didn't go into all that. It didn't say if he was trying to protect the village or I think he was trying to gain recognition for David. Because when you read that whole chapter, it talks about David had 37 warriors that followed him. It didn't matter if he wanted a drink of water, they would go through enemy lines and get David a drink of water because they believed in what David was doing as king and they wanted to be there and serve him. Because they knew that God had given David a dream, had given him a vision of what he wanted him to do in that country. And so, you know, whenever you start thinking about it, you know, and I talked about Brother Merlin, I talked about Brother Howard, and I talked about where our church was at. You know, for, for Ben and I, that defining moment was standing on top of that snowy pit looking into it. 
And it talks about, you know, um, Mark Batterson is who wrote the book Chase the Lion, and he's an incredible author. And as he wrote that book, you know, he talked about that. You know, and he used the word a couple of times. He called them Genesis moments. And what's Genesis moments in, in each of our lives? You know, if we had to think about it, what's a Genesis moment in your life? Where's a point of time where something started right there? You know, for me, I can go back, and y'all heard me talk about it. I can tell you where I was standing in late April of 1987, the first time I saw my wife, and that was a Genesis moment for me that changed her forever because it <laughs> blessed her. She's been with me for 32 and a half years. I mean, think about it. But, you know, what's another, you know, so we can talk about things in our life, but then what are some spiritual Genesis moments? For me, you know, I can tell you it was whenever I was standing in Cook Hall at Amen Baptist Church against the wall by the stained glass window, and I could take you back and tell you where I was standing when Edward Crouch was speaking at a youth weekend. It was probably about the year 2001, 2002. And I can tell you where I was at. I can tell you the words he said. I probably can go back and get the Bible out of my office where I took the notes from the message. But the four words he said was dead men don't talk. And those four words is what was the Genesis moment for Johnny Morgan that he called me into ministry. You know, what are other Genesis moments whenever, you know, what's those things that you can think of when God used something to change you completely, to get you to where he wanted you to be and to do a work that can only come from him? You know, again, for me, a Genesis moment was standing right here on this stage in um, 2012. June 14, 2012, I was standing about right here, and I'm just being transparent. My best friend was laid right here. I can't tell you the words I said, but I can tell you the conversation that went on in my head between me and God those few minutes standing up here. And I can tell you that I told God, God, I will never, ever, ever stand back and not say something again. God did. If you give me the opportunity, I'm going to run into that pit like Ben and I, and I'm going to slay that line. And if somebody gets mad at me, oh, well. Because I'm not answering to them. I'm answering to you and you only. And so from that moment on, from that day, standing right there, it changed me. I would have told you I was a pretty bold person up to them. But after that day is the reason that I stood this Wednesday and poppies would pipe her horn and sat across from her across a bowl of queso and had to look her in the eyes and tell her, I'm sorry. I've dropped a ball with you. I'm sorry that I didn't push you the way I should have because God opened the door four or five years before when she was sitting right there about where Eddie's sitting when I met her and her mom in here for an after performance and she was on a scooter, I think, or had her foot in a boot. And I went and prayed with her whenever she had surgery and God started that journey. But Wednesday night, I sat there and looked her in the eye and I said, I owe you an apology because I have to know something. Where are you going to spend your eternity? And so what is our Genesis moments? What are those moments in our lives to where we can say, God is going to use me no matter what? I want God. I want to run into that pit. You know, when you start looking at Ben and I, when it says that he was standing and he run down into that snow. Let me move it up here because I got hand signals in the first service. This is a real architectural drawing. You see the pit. 
You can see the civil structural design. I've got the, the hatching to show y'all that there's dirt around it. And just so you know, that dirt is um, not compacted. If it had been straight up and down on nannies, it would have been compacted. So this is loose dirt. Because I think whenever God sends us, sometimes we might get here and kind of teeter-totter and he might cave it in. So we'll go ahead and go in. But you know what? For, for Live Oak Baptist, for the staff, this is what's in the pit for us. These are the things that we're willing to die for. These are the things that we're willing to die for in battle and say we're not negotiating. Small groups. Some of you saying, oh, he's talking about that again. Well, guess what? As long as I have breath, I'm going to talk about it because it's important. What does Scripture tell us? It tells us to disciple, and it tells us to teach, and then it tells us to baptize. And so small groups, we're doing something that most churches right now, they're quitting, and they're giving up. And they're saying, we're going to quit doing Sunday school. It's not important. We're going to quit doing small groups. It's not important. And then they wonder why their church is floundering and why their churches are failing. It's because there's no foundation. And so we believe in the foundation. We believe in small groups. And we believe in Sunday school and grow groups. And we believe this Wednesday, Donnie, you said, how long have you been at Edgerton? 13 years. I was checking to see if he was going to give me the same number twice. <laughs> 13 years. This Wednesday? They're starting a Bible study at Edgedon at lunchtime. You know, we have Bible studies that meet in schools. We have Bible studies that meet in homes. We have Bible studies that we meet with coaches. We have Bible studies that we're meeting with teams, you know, because small groups are important. And every time we get the opportunity to run through a door, we're going to run through it. And if you're sitting in here today and you say something, you know, my job, I could do a Bible study. And if you need to be equipped, see one of the staff. Because we're going to run through that door with you because small groups are important. You know, our community is important because he tells us, what's he tell us? He says, go and make disciples and to baptize and to teach. They're not flooding in here. Look around us. There's empty seats this morning. So we need to go and we need to disciple. And so we need to reach our community. We need to reach our neighborhoods. Sit out here in a parking lot and watch the lumber trucks run up and down the road going to these subdivisions. We need to start claiming these subdivisions. We need to start saying, God, this is your property. You own this. God, show me what I need to do. Not show Brother Johnny what I need to do. Not show Brother Donnie or Brother Frank or Brother Mike. Show me what I need to do to claim this. Our community, we started last Sunday, and next Sunday we have another one. We're going to the ballpark over here at Losa, and we're starting. We're doing our, this will be our second Bible study because it's important. You know, the, the pit for us is to know, grow, go. The pit for us is to teach people, to bring them to the knowledge of Christ, and to help them grow, and then to help them go. Worship is a non-negotiable for us because we don't want our worship to get complacent to God. And I'm not talking about just the music. I'm talking about the Word and our time of giving and everything. Our life is worship. And so when you start looking, these are the things or the pit for us that we're going to charge into like Ben and I, and we're going to fight for them. In his book, Chase the Line, it has this quote. It says, I'm not convinced that our true date of death is the date listed on our death certificate. Sadly, many people die long before their heart stops beating. We start dying the day we stop dreaming and when our heart stops breaking for the things that break the heart of God. Ironically, we start living the day that we discover a dream worth dying for. What's the mighty man found in David, a cause worth living for? A dream worth dying for. 
So I want to ask you this morning, do we find God a cause worth living for and a dream worth dying for? Do we find our God big enough that we want to die for him? Do we find that our God, whenever he gives us a dream, we're going to say, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this for you, God. I don't understand how I'm going to do it. It makes no sense how I'm going to do it, but God, I'm going to do it. You know, y'all have heard me talk about in 2008 when we lost our roof here, and I met a man named Hank Huff from Houston, Texas with Kingdom Dog Ministries. And me and him became friends. And in 2013, he approached me and he said, Johnny, this ministry is bigger than me. Johnny, won't you pray about joining me? And me and Brother Howard sat across there in his office and we prayed about this ministry because it wasn't about Live Oak, it was about the kingdom. And as we prayed about that, and we figured, if you remember, we do four or five presentations a year. You know, we figured this would be easy. But then again, when I had to run into that pit, is because I don't make what I used to make whenever I was in engineering. And so when I asked Hank how much glory was going to cost me, and he said $7,000 was my part, I said, hmm, God, you've got this. And I went and sat down with six people and talked to them, and all I could do was give them a dream and say, I believe this is what God's going to do. I believe this is how God's going to use it but I don't have $7,000 to buy this dog. And those six men wrote checks that paid for that dog. But you know what? Since that day, I've had those dogs in front of 151,247 people, the best I can count. Over 16,200 salvations from those dogs being in front of people. 387 presentations. No would have thought that, huh, Brother Howard? But you know what? I'm not telling you that for Johnny Moore. I'm telling you that's how big my God is. And when God gives us that vision, he gives us that dream, and we stand right here, I could have stood on top of that hill and said, you know something, God? Boy, that looks like a good plan, but I'm not going to do it. What if Merlin McCann would have come on this property in 1985 and looked at this property and said, you know something, God? That, that's, a, that's a good idea to put a church here. But won't you let Greenwood Springs Baptist do that. Won't you let them make that investment? Or what if he'd have stood on top of his hill and Brother Merlin would have said, hmm, no, not today. Where would we be? Where would the footprint of Live Oak Baptist be if, if he hadn't have been obedient? Because the big part about dreams is the obedience. It's about being obedient. It's being willing to say, all right, I'm going to stand on top of this hill and I'm going to charge in. I'm not going to stand there and form a committee. I'm not going to sit there and reason it out. I'm going to charge into the bottom of that pit, and I'm going to slay that lamb, God, because that's what you called me to do. Is it easy? No. Is it worth it? Absolutely. You can do nothing wrong and still do nothing right. Do you hear that? You can do nothing wrong and still do nothing right. In God's kingdom, breaking even is breaking bad. Remember, the, remember how the servants had the talents, and one had ten, one had five, and one had one, and the one that had ten doubled, and the one that had five doubled, and the one that had one? He didn't do anything wrong. He just went and buried his talent. But that's not what his master wanted. All of us have talents. All of us have the ability to run into the pit. We have to be willing to be obedient. We have to be willing to say, God, I'm going to do whatever you take. 
me and Piper could have went and sat Wednesday night and laughed and talked and caught up, and me tried to pray her out of wanting to go cheer for Alabama. <laughs> but you know what? But you know what? If we'd have walked away from there, I wouldn't have done nothing wrong, would I? But it wouldn't have been right because I knew God had put on my heart. Ask Jocelyn Shelby to text I sent her Wednesday afternoon. I said, pray for the conversation with me and Piper because we're going to talk about this tonight. Because God had put it on my heart weeks ago. So we have to do something. Doing nothing is not an option when you start looking for God, when you're really living for him. You know, the 500-pound lines that, that we have to face, you know, when you start looking, a God-sized dream will always be beyond your ability, beyond your logic, and beyond your resources. If God doesn't do it, it can't be done. But that's how God gets the glory. Have you ever thought that sometimes our disobedience, we're stealing glory from God? Because all of a sudden we can say, God... I can't pastor Live Oak Baptist Church because there was people whispering in my ear, you're not smart enough. You're not educated enough. But my God was telling me, I'm your educator. I've got you. I've called you. I'm going to sustain you. You just have to be obedient. So what are each one of us in here this morning? What's that obedience that God's calling us to? What's the things that he's calling us? For some of us, the bottom of this pit is our family. For some of us, the bottom of this pit might be our jobs. For some of us, the bottom of this pit might be our hobbies. And we need to run in there and we need to slay them and give God the glory for it. Sometimes faith is the willingness to look foolish. Noah looked foolish building an ark. Sarah looked pretty foolish buying maternity clothes at her age. David looked foolish going into battle with a slingshot. Ben and I looked foolish chasing a lion. The wise men looked foolish for following a star. Peter looked foolish for getting out of the boat. Jesus looked foolish hanging half naked on a cross. But again, faith is the willingness to look foolish. The results will speak for themselves. Noah was saved from the flood. Sarah gave birth to Isaac. David defeated Goliath. Ben and I killed the lion in a pit on a snowy day. The wise men found the Messiah. Peter walked on water, and Jesus was raised from the dead because of faithfulness, because of obedience, because of living not scared, because God's God. And he tells us that he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us, in 1 John 4, 18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. What does the Bible tell us? What's love? God. So when you really start looking at it, if God's love, and in his word tells us that, that there is no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear, our God's going to drive out that fear. We just have to be willing to say, you know something? I'm going to do this. I don't care what it looks like. I'm going to do this. When I first got called to the ministry, I went to Live Oak Junior High or Live Oak Middle School at the time. They called and said, hey, will you come speak at an FCA meeting? I said, sure. I was thinking 35 kids. I showed up. There was 950-something kids in that gym. 
They were sitting on the floor. I thought I had about 10 minutes with 40 kids. I had 40 minutes with over 950 kids. And I can remember for about three seconds, I panicked. And I know I had no clots in my body at that point because my heart went... But I walked into that gym and I said, God, you've got this because this old boy don't have it. And they've asked me to come back every year since. But God equips us. But we have to be willing to run into that pit. You know, in that verse, when you read it, it might look insignificant. But when you look at those 37 men and how they followed David and how they risked their lives for David because of a vision that God gave David. Ben and I was just a bodyguard. He's just a bodyguard. But what happened whenever David's son Solomon became king, he rose to the very top over all of the warriors. So today, what are we going to do with Live at Baptist Church? We could sit back and say, you know something? We're bigger than most Southern Baptist churches. The average Southern Baptist church is 80 to 100 people. We're bigger than that. We're pretty successful in Sunday school right now. Our numbers are growing, and we're above averages. We baptize one person a week average right now. What was my, what was my goal at the beginning of the year? 52? We're tracking. So we could quit right now and say, you know something, God? We're, we're better than most. It's not what my God's called. What has God called us to do? To go, make disciples, to teach and to baptize. He's taught us to love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, all our mind, and to love our neighbor. So when we stand on the top and we look down in the bottom, don't look at the obstacle. Don't look at the fangs of the line. Don't look at the paws on the line. Look and see God's face and say, he's going to get me through this. He's going to be the victor. He's going to be the one that's going to get the glory for this. And just run in. Run in. Because that's what he wants. And I can tell you, I stay in trouble. Stay in trouble. You're doing too much. You're doing too much. Am I? Because there's people out there that still need to hear about my God. There's people out there that if we don't tell them, they're going to go to hell. When I get to heaven one day, I don't want him to say, boy, Johnny, that was a good plan. Johnny, that was a good thought. I want him to look at me and say, Johnny, well done. You did it. I want to show up with scars and bleeding and cut up so that he can look at me and say, you did it. Well done. You did it. Father, we come to you right now, Lord. Just say that we love you. Father, and I thank you for today. Father, I just thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for people like Ben and I, Father, that just shows us. Father, we just need to run into that pit. Father, for some of us today, some of us, that pit in the bottom is our salvation. And Father, we're standing at the top right now looking at it, knowing that we need to accept you. Father, we know today that we need to ask you to become the Lord and Savior of our life, Father, and to forgive us of our sins. Father, if that's somebody in here, Father, I just pray that you give them the courage to run into that pit 
And, Father, start that walk with you. Father, for some of us, the bottom of that pit might be baptism. Father, for some of us, the bottom of that pit might be making Live Oak their church home. Father, they want to be part of a church that believes in the gospel. Father, part of a church that believes in living the gospel. Father, for some of us, we might need to come down front to this altar and just put it at your feet and say, Father, I need to get this out of my life and this out of my life so that I can run down in that pit for you. Father, we love you. Father, I just ask right now, Father, we just be obedient to what you're calling. Father, we respond accordingly. In the Son's name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with